everybody. This is Ghostly Talk on, what's it, uh, November 26th, 2018. Tonight, oh, what a hell of a night. But, you know, first thing I want, before we talk about our guest we had tonight, we don't really talk about this too much. Um, we are on Facebook. What is it? Ghost, uh, Facebook.com. We're on the Twitter, the Instagram. We're on the Twitter the and Facebook. the Instagram. Yeah, we're on all that stuff, kids. We're, we 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 the gotta Twitters. get we gotta get with the kids, you see. Yeah. So we gotta get on the Twitters and Twitter, the Facebooks and the, the Instagrams. The Twitters, the Twitters are my least favorite. That is I, my least I, favorite. I don't platform. like Twitter, man. I think it's lame. I try to post on there, and then I do follow people because they post things on Twitter that they don't post anywhere else. And I like following some of those people. John yeah. Kenny's one of them. I like following him on Twitter because he actually says funny, interesting things. Yeah. But I find it's a lot of just link sharing. Someone clicked like on something, so all of a sudden I see it. I could care less. I don't get how it works. It's fast. It's weird. Well, okay, I heard someone once describe it as microblogging. When I heard that term, that's true. It made more sense. I was like, oh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's my least favorite. I'll go on there, you know, and post something like, hey, we got a new show, and Instagram's probably the second. I don't. We use Facebook more just because that's where more people tend to follow us on. As uh, I heard, not too long like Facebook's for the old people. Uh, well, what's the new thing? I, I don't know. Because I mean, it's like I'm like, well, if it's for the old people and it's so played out, why is like there seven know. gazillion people on there? Um, another thing too, if you do like the show, I guess we don't really get discovered these days unless people like and rate us. So if you do have a positive thing to say, um, stop and give us a review on whatever podcast platform you use, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean. Um, otherwise, we're just left with the jerks leaving us comments. And so I'd like if some of you guys actually like us, you know, leave us a nice comment so other people might find us and well, we're curious like us too. Yeah, we're curious to know what people are thinking about the new show and how we've been doing this for the last Well, and our format's years. all over the place all the time. I don't know if we've ever really gelled on something yet, but. Well, we no, obviously we haven't. This is about it's as. hard. I think this has been about as organized as we've been so far. Like tonight. <laughs> we're trying, but we're here. Well, it's a a weird mix of like people you like to have a guest and you want to interview people and learn something from the show but then it's also that weird mix where we keep hearing from people oh the favorite part of ghostly talk was the first half hour where you guys just bullshitted like okay you didn't like the enlightening part of talking to a guest and it's a weird thing especially tonight well and you know and i and i i mean i guess we're kind of bullshitting right now and talking but it you hear that over and over how much people like just hearing about everyone's day and i do like that on regular talk radio too just hearing random people talk about their life and you can zone out and listen to what's going on in someone else's life and not your own but um, okay it's no that wasn't negative i don't know i know i I know it wasn't negative coming from you but to me i'm like i I like listening to people talk when it comes to i mean yeah that's what i just said yeah but not necessarily their day i mean i like hearing about subjects well i like subjects too but like i'm thinking okay for example like drew and mike yeah our, our, uh, which our are the heroes. the local well, they were well, they were the they local were. um morning people those in two just had such a chemistry but i you talked could just about listen that to them before. talk yeah. and they were just talking about nothing interesting in particular yet it was interesting so we just lost mike clark recently too. yeah rest yeah. in peace mike clark i did i think i posted something about the ghostly talk facebook yeah. page about it so but anyway i think it's been fun going back and inviting some of these people that have that were on ghostly talk back in the day over seven years ago and inviting some of them to come back and talk about what they've been doing for the past seven years actually so tonight it's marcus well tonight's marcus leader and yeah it's been 11 years marcus leader is an old hero of ours an old friend of ours 
Um, proud to still call him a friend. Uh, tell us more about Marcus, Amber. So his his bio, it's pretty lengthy, but Marcus Leader was extremely fortunate and privileged to befriend one of the most famous shamans of our time while studying in the UCLA library. This shaman, dubbed by Time Magazine as, quote, the godfather of the New Age, later took Marcus under his wing and taught him the secrets of the Toltec shamanic path in a one-on-one apprenticeship over a period of eight years before leaving this world in 1998 on his own quest for freedom. Marcus continues his shamanic research and practice today as one of the few remaining apprentices to the world-famous anthropologist, best-selling author, and shaman Dr. Carlos Castaneda. Marcus has recently signed with a publishing company to write a series of books in 2019 about an incredible Toltec secret core knowledge that has been hidden for 600 years and perpetuated by word of mouth generation to generation within a secret Toltec shamanic lineage. Marcus was given this ancient core knowledge by Dr. Carlos Castaneda. Oh, there I go. Castaneda (laughs) with instructions to release it to the world at a specific time through a series of books titled The Toltec Teachings. Marcus has also been conducting research in the field of paranormal phenomena since 1972. Oh, my God. And has invented several cutting-edge products to help him pull back the veil, such as the trans-dimensional transceiver, pragmagnetic resonance. Paramagnetic. Paramagnetic. Oh, that's okay. Resonance meter and the new dark light, to name a few. He also has a weekly radio show that he's currently got on hiatus called The Shaman's Brew. Well, I think um, he said he, he talks just, he about took it his adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and The Shaman's Brew is fantastic. Uh, we would listen back in the day during our old run of Ghostly Talk. Uh, and, man, Marcus Leader uh, was one of Doug and I's absolute favorites uh, in the old days of the show. We were as I mentioned, even in this show, how giddy we would get when Marcus would come on. Uh, and per usual, Marcus left Ghostly Talk tonight. Uh, literally, to me, a pile of glorious rubble. <laughs> Please enjoy our conversation with Marcus Leader. Busy boy here lately, Marcus. Oh yeah, and I, I'm really was taken aback by a lot of the things you're getting into. I mean, let, just to get things started off here, right? Um, not only a book, but a book series for 2019. I want to hear all about this, Marcus. Okay. Um, yeah, as as you probably know, um, you know, I had. Uh, Met uh, Carlos Carlos Castaneda back in the uh, back in the seventies actually at UCLA, and he, you know, to make a long story short, he basically um, took me under his wing at some time later. It was it was uh, a few years later after I'd met him, 
and he started teaching me about the Toltec path and a lot of the the knowledge that has been handed down uh, since the fall of Teotihuacan mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in Mexico since since that fell they wanted to perpetuate you know the Toltec shamans wanted to perpetuate the knowledge but they didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands because a lot of it uh, uh, is what actually caused the fall you know, of the uh, of the Toltec Empire okay. And so they started perpetuating it by teaching it uh, student to teacher uh, by word of mouth only. And that went on for uh, it's, it's been almost 600 years now that, you know, the knowledge has been passed from one generation to the next. Uh, Carlos was part of uh, he was one of the, the last of the generation. And he told me once that he he was a transitional shaman. And by that, what he meant is that all this knowledge had been passed from teacher to student for centuries, you know, just so it wouldn't be lost. Yeah. And and uh, it got to the point it was never released to the public and still never has been released. Um, but it got to the point where Carlos got involved and he was not a likely candidate to, to be in this lineage, you know, and nor am I actually, but the the reason he got into it and that spirit uh chose him as his teacher uh Don Juan had told him is because he was to take this knowledge and make the world aware of it and because the world wasn't even aware except maybe a few anthropologists knew a little bit about it uh in the 1960s they weren't even aware of it and so he took the knowledge and he started writing, you know, um, you know, like his adventures, his uh, his lessons. Uh, he didn't really get into the meat and potatoes, you know, the how-to of the the Toltec knowledge. He just talked about it, and uh, he uh, his job was to make the entire world aware that it existed, mm. which he did. He had eleven best-selling books. Uh, Time Magazine called him the Godfather of the New Age. He was on on the cover twice, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he actually made the world aware that all this actually exists. This whole huge body of knowledge and culture. And his job, though, wasn't to really teach people, you know, how to do different things, how to accomplish many of the feats that he writes about. He just wrote about it. In fact, on a couple occasions, um, people had asked him, you know, how to do this or that. And and he would constantly get uh, be contacted by people um, who are following everything he does. And they're trying to replicate, you know, what he did mm-hmm. by reading his books. And that would actually upset him because he he told me on a couple occasions that uh, you know his his actual words uh, there's no damn knowledge in those books they're just <laughs> you know and and it kind of set me back too I kind of laughed thought he was joking but yeah. he said they're they're a representation of knowledge um, oh. it's it's you know an example his his story is an example of what the Toltec shamans uh, did. But there's no actual knowledge. There's no, you know, when he talks about not doing, um, you know, the double, 
you know, different things in the Toltec uh, mm -hmm. tradition. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say how to do it. He just talks about it. And he later, you know, and I was with him for eight years. And uh, during that apprenticeship, you know, he told me that, you know, he's keeping me separate from his other group. He had a, another group of people in the more traditional, you know, lineage. But he, he was keeping me separate from them because I had a different purpose. And he was actually programming a lot of information and knowledge, you know, into me. And it gets complicated, but uh, he, he would shift me into what's called a second attention. And that's done by manipulating a thing called the assemblage point and the energy field that everybody has. Okay. And by shifting it, it moves it into a state of extreme hyper-awareness. And anything that you're taught, uh, anything that happens, anything you're taught or told or read or anything is permanently stored. There is no way. It's not stored in the brain. It's stored in your energy bodies. And that by doing it that way, uh, the Toltec shamans throughout the centuries made sure that the story and the information wasn't tainted or changed. Uh, it was repeated, uh, you know, verbatim, you know, word for word. Because and, because it was in this energy this energy body you refer yeah. to. <clears throat> yeah, when it's there, it's, if it goes into our our memories, it, it's like you know you you probably heard the story of you take ten people, line them up, and whisper something in yeah, one yeah. ear. Mm -hmm. By the time it gets to the other, it's not even the same. Uh, that's because your own perception, your your brain and your own perception uh, will modify it to fit you. And by the time, if, if you did that throughout generations, you the information, the knowledge would be basically lost to the point where it wouldn't be of any use. Well, and, yeah, can I ask you a question, Marcus? Sure. Do you think that that, that experience, that well, that part of our brains, do you think that's an imperfection for us as people? Like that idea where we can take an idea where our ideas and our beliefs are skewed by who we are, like how our chemicals, how, how all the chemicals make up our mind, you know, and all that, all that jazz, right? Do you think yeah. that's an imperfection of us or do you think that's just part of the, the human condition? I, I think that is part of the human condition because we are, uh, you know, we have evolved throughout millennia mm -hmm. and we started off you know as a more primitive uh, biological you know structure mm -hmm. and in order to survive we had to have a lot of emotions into play and you know as the brain evolved we were you know able to process memory and thoughts and things that that slowly evolved but we're still a biological unit and the biological unit is nothing compared to our energy bodies as a matter of survival though um yeah that was in, what you just said there was you struck me uh, you know very interesting to me at least um emotions and how they play into our survival as you know maybe just one person like i'm you know one man or one woman right um i i think personally that Emotions have a play in that they have a part in our survival. Um, but do you think, and I mean, I'm not trying to take us down some crazy rabbit hole here. I apologize if I am. <laughs> no, but it, no you're saying problem. a lot of things that are really interesting to me. Uh, and I'm just wondering, because, you know, nowadays it seems like, you know, and this is one of the things I've been trying to learn and grow as a person is, you know, 
thinking more logically, slowing down my thought. And you know, it's something I've been fighting with since I was a little kid. My, I've been told by my parents and my teachers and you know everybody, slow down. Your your mind moves too fast and you act too much on impulse, right? Um, yeah. You know, so I've always been here, slow down, slow down. So I find myself, you know, maybe, you know, 43 years later, I'm finally getting my shit together, Marcus, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm finding myself with a lot of people around me, especially, that are even my age. Uh, I'm going, I'm the one going, oh, everybody slow down. Everybody pump the brakes. I like saying <laughs> that a lot. And I like, pump the brakes. Everybody calm down here. Let's think this thing through, right? Because I yeah. find that. A lot of the mistakes I've made, you know, and I guess this is just, you know, part of this human condition thing, this life that I'm living. A lot of the mistakes that I've made, I think, over the years were based on raw emotion, where I was acting on, on an impulse through an emotion as opposed to just slowing down and thinking things through. Right. So, I'm yeah. like, you know, that thought process I'm running down goes to the question of do you think, you know, people now. I, I personally think this whole, this whole idea I just talked about, you know, I think people nowadays are acting way too much on emotion. People aren't thinking things through. People are so reactionary and they're so willing to just jump off the knee and just respond to something, usually very aggressively, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think, do you think that that's a problem now that people have that this isn't, you know, I know a survival is one aspect, but I think it's hindering people now. That's just my, oh, yeah. my, my opinion slash question to you. Do you think it's hindering people now? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's, um, the the emotion um, the emotion and the intellect or the logic uh, they're both important. You got to have both, but they have to be in balance. Mm -hmm. And and right now, what I'm finding and could be why you know I I was I've waited 20 years to write this book. Yeah, and I I wasn't allowed to write it until now, but um, it conditions and uh, with the world and with people had to get to a certain point. And I think that's one of the reasons is because it seems it's it's getting worse, not better. Um, society, like you said, is is reacting emotionally, you know, before logically. And there's got to be a balance. You got to have both, and each one keeps the other, you know, in check. Mm -hmm. uh, emotion is a is an energy. It's a driving force. So it's it's important to the human condition. And logical reasoning, you know, is is why we're where we're at in the uh, in the lines of evolution. But if one gets you know out of balance, if the, like right now, I, I think you're correct. The emotions are growing so fast and taking over. It's because people are out of balance. They've lost their center, is what a shaman would say, or you may heard Indians say that uh, you know people have lost their center, or lost their soul, mm -hmm. and, and you hear people talking about grounding, and the um, society today is more uh, drifted away, you know, from the center, and they are you know, being controlled by emotion, they're being run by emotion. And, you know, one of the ways um, to control that is by actually grounding. Um, the earth has a frequency that it vibrates at, it's called the Schumann resonance. Mm -hmm. And it's an electrical vibration. And it's caused actually by electrical storms up in the ionosphere. And 
if you, uh, you know, the whole earth, everything on it, including us, uh, we're vibrating. Our, there's that, that pulse, that energy going through us. And that's what keeps us grounded and actually centered. If you don't physically come in contact with the earth uh, often enough, and I mean like barefoot or touching the earth, uh, you can start to drift from your, you have a frequency drift away from that uh, human resonance. And when that happens, your whole emotional balance, everything gets off, uh, including your health, your well-being. Uh, it's, it's something that scientists are now discovering. You know, Toltec shamans have known it for thousands of years, but mm -hmm. it wasn't as big a problem in the past. Now people are wearing tennis shoes. You know, I, I know people that I can't remember the last time they touched the earth especially in the bigger cities where they uh, they don't necessarily want to touch the ground earth. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some places you don't want to touch. Yeah. But by doing that, uh, they, they start drifting. Their frequency changes maybe from seven cycles per second up to uh, – it can go to eight or nine or ten. And it usually goes up. It doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, your whole body is no longer functioning properly, mentally or physically. And, you know, that's that, – it's an easy fix. You just walk outside and find some dirt and, uh, and you know, stand at it. Or like, like if I uh, start feeling drained because, you know, like I said, you know, we've both been really busy. And, you know, sometimes I work 20-hour days. Mm. And – if I get worn down or I, I, I start to feel depleted, what I'll do is I'll go find a tree in the backyard. I, you know, I've got pine trees and I've got uh, maple tree and other things. And I'll take my uh, shoes off and I'll plant my feet right on the ground, put my back up against the tree and my hands on the ground. And what happens is you, not only do you uh, come into sync with the Schumann resonance in a matter of 15, 20 minutes, but the trees, um, you know, you've heard of people talking to trees and, you know, people think they're fruitcakes, but some of them are. But uh, the trees have a, an energy field very similar to humans. Mm -hmm. And they will actually work with and and help humans. It's just it's like the you know human condition and uh, the plant yeah. life or tree condition. Yeah. They will actually start to resonate and they will pull a lot of uh, uh, the bad stuff, the negative uh, blockages and vibrations out of you. Uh, I still don't know why trees want to help humans because of all the things we do to them. But uh, they do. It's just the willow tree is the only one you want to kind of stay away from. Well, you know, the thing about nature, and I know we, you know, it's, it's easy to say this, but it really works, man. Like, it's one of my all-time favorite things to do still to this day. Um, it, it seems like, and everything you said, I, mean, I, I so much identify with because, as we already said, we're both leading very busy lives right now. You know, I'm in, you know, career mode, all that kind of stuff. So it yeah. seems like, and I mean, Amber and I have this conversation all the time. I'm like, I don't feel like I ever get to stop. Like my mind is always thinking about something, right? Yeah. I know yeah. that's a problem. I know it's a problem. And I'm, and she tells me and other people are like, dude, you got to really 
turn the brain off every once in a while. You got to just get yourself to slow down. Problem is, I'm still working on a way to figure that out and actually do that. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get there someday. Uh, but I find myself going out in the nature whenever I can, which is more few and far between these days. Um, but I just feel this thing when I when I go out for a hike, like I, I, that was something I was doing for a while where I just called it my day of Scott, which basically consisted of a nice breakfast by myself usually. And then I go out and do like a 10-mile hike uh, out somewhere here in Michigan. And then I end up going out and blowing money on records. <laughs> that, was like my, my, that was like my day to relax, right? But the yeah. best part of that day, of course, was to go out into the woods and go out deep as far as I could, really get back where there was no one around me, right? Where I was totally by myself. And there was days, Marcus, I got to be totally honest, some of these days, I th- and I think it may have been stress coming off of me and whatnot, but a, a handful of those days, I got way back in these woods by myself, and I just sat down some places and just cried for a couple of seconds. I just had to yeah. cry. And it wasn't because I was sad or, or I, I was upset, but I just something about being around all that, it made me feel really happy. You know, it it made me feel really good. Now, mind you, I was in tennis shoes still, though. (laughs) But I think, think, you know, you're you're maybe, you know, and tell me if I'm wrong on this. When you with this connection we're talking about, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily you have to touch Earth. because I I mean, I was surrounded by this. You know, I was sitting on the Earth. Um, I mean, I had pants on, though. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to. But I mean, there was just being around that and that kind of overcome me emotionally sometimes. And but and you know what? Here's the thing. The whole point of this, Marcus, was I walked out of that feeling really good. I felt really energized. I felt refreshed. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, the muscle ache, I, I enjoy muscle ache, you know, just that, that, that push of energy coming, you know, that really get through something like that. All those things kind of working together for me. It worked for me. Does that tie into kind of what we're talking about here? Cause I mean, Nate, the nature thing to me really does help. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the earth and, uh, and trees will heal you. Uh, they'll heal you emotionally and physically, as far as a contact uh, with the earth, uh, you should do that a little bit uh, yeah. each day uh, or at least every other day. But what you're talking about is the presence. When you walk up to um, when you walk through nature, you're walking by plants and trees and they have energy fields uh, that extend outwards depending on the size of the uh the tree, they extend outwards maybe six to ten feet away from like the trunk of the tree. Okay. And as you walk through that, you're actually your energy fields are, you know, blending in with theirs. And uh, because your energy fields, uh, the average person sticks out uh, three feet and on all sides. Mm-hmm. And and those are energy fields. Those can actually be measured. Those aren't, you know, new age mumbo jumbo type thing that's those <laughs> those can be physically measured yeah and you know you you know some people can learn to see them too but um as your energy fields brush up and and mingle with uh, everything else with nature basically what happens is that uh you start pulling energy you know from uh from these fields 
uh, the earth itself has enormous energy and you're actually part of it, your physical body, but you still need that, that actual touch occasionally. Uh, but the experience that you have when you do that is you're pulling energy from the trees, from the plants, uh, you know, from the earth itself. Uh, and that vitalizes your own personal power, you know, because our energy levels go up and down. And uh, our, our, I told you, our, you can call it an aura, mm-hmm. uh, it expands and shrinks and changes color according to your emotional you know, state of being. But uh, as it depletes, it can pull energy from other people or other plants or nature itself. And, you know, your true home is in nature. That's when you go there, that's, that's your home. That's where, you know, the human uh, condition started. That's where, you know, humans originally mm-hmm. lived yeah. for a long time. It's only recently that we've isolated ourselves in skyscrapers, uh, skyscrapers and apartments. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the community, but we've left behind the part, uh, the biggest part of us. And when you go into nature and, you know, you when you said you cried, that was you know, a huge emotional release. It's like a homecoming. Yeah. And it just felt right to be there. Yeah. You know? And it's funny, you, you mentioned these things because, you know, we people now, we have houses, we have heat at our fingertips, uh, you know, hot wa- water at our fingertips. It's all here for the taking, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to go, I've done some camping. I'm not much of a camper. <laughs> In fact, I'm a really bad camper. Um, <laughs> But it's interesting to go out into the elements and realize, you know, try to think back um, into times when people didn't have the mechanics and the the mechanical things that we have now to produce hot water, for example, um, or to produce heat or or to cool us down uh, and get our, you know, get our temperature where it needs to be at. All those things were a real stretch to, yeah. uh, to, and they're all amenities that we just enjoy readily now. Uh, And those things were something you had you had to really you really had to work towards or work for uh, at, at a certain time because I think yeah when you were a part of nature you were battling these elements I don't know if the term battling the elements is the right way to say it uh, you're trying to adapt to these elements I guess yeah you know mm-hmm. so that's um you know that whole thing with being a, you know I I agree I think we we are we're all children. Uh, you know, of nature and maybe to me, at least ultimately the stars, like a lot of people say, Um, you know, and really in the grand scheme, uh, when it comes to the earth, uh, as you already said, the earth is immensely powerful, way more powerful than I think any of us really want to come to know it to be, um, or we really understand. But 2019, it's not going to be just one book. It's going to be a series of books. Yeah, it's uh, it's being published, and it's kind of odd, you know, the way that it came about. Um, like like I was telling you, I was I was told Carlos told me that I will be, you know, I'll know when the time is right, basically, yeah. in the form of an omen. Now, I have my mind's a little too analytical, and I think I've been getting omens for the last year, and uh, I just been thinking well the odds of that are maybe a thousand to one happening that but it still mm-hmm. might just be a coincidence and so I've ignored a lot of things I've um, I have um, 
you know, you've heard of spirit animals, and those are animals that have an affinity to humans, and they communicate on other energetic levels, and one of mine is a crow. And so I have a lot of things that have happened, you know, in the last 15, 20 years with crows. I've had them fly in my window of my truck and sit there and ride with me for a while and fly out. Um, I've had them fly in the truck and eat my uh, lunch. And then I've also had them swoop down at the windshield so that I stepped on the brake and avoided an accident twice. Oh, really? And Yeah, wow. and it's... it's um, it can be bizarre, but I've had, uh, over the last year, I've had crows do unusual things. And I had a crow and an eagle about 20 feet above my head, you know, flying around in a circle, you know, both of them screaming at me. You know, and that, if that's not an omen, I don't know what it is, but I, I didn't take any action on that. I, you know, I, I do live in the forest, you know, on the river. So there, there are eagles here and, uh, and crows are everywhere. But recently, just uh, a few months ago, I was sitting outside, you know, having a cup of coffee on the deck, or a cup of tea, actually, on the, the deck. And this crow, you know, was flying around me, and it came down and landed on the table where my uh, cup of tea was. And it went over and leaned over the tea and dropped something in it and then uh, flew off. And I looked in there, and it was an acorn. And there aren't any acorn trees in this vicinity. Oh, really? So I thought that was bizarre. And, you know, I've never had a crow quite do anything like that. And, uh, and so I took that as an omen to, to go ahead and, you know, start releasing the information. I haven't put the association with the, the acorn or anything yet, but I, I just assumed that's what it was. And so I started, you know, getting all my notes together that I've been putting together. And just, uh, I think it was two days later, I got a call from Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Yes, our girl. And, yep. And uh, she has a a uh, good size uh, publishing company called Visionary Levy Living. She publishing. was here. She came here. She well, she was on the show here. Uh, how long ago was that, Amber? A few months ago. Yeah, wasn't too long ago. Oh, she I told, that. She told us all about it. She told us all about it. So yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Marcus. Oh, that's okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so she calls me up and uh, you know just out of the blue and and asked me if you know if I had something I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was kind of strange. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, so we got to talking. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't even realize she had the publishing company. I, I thought she did stuff for herself, but I didn't know she was doing it for other people. Yeah. And so we got to talking, and we decided that um, since Carlos has – even today, he has uh, approximately 30 million followers around the world, even though he's left the world. Um, and the, the body of knowledge that I was taught and uh, is so vast that it would not be possible to put it in one book. And so we decided that uh, it should be a series of books. And the first one will uh, be released next year, um, possibly the second one, too. But it's, you know, that that came completely out of the blue. Uh, she didn't know that I was working on anything. 
And, um, and then I, you know, I have my uh, radio show, The Shaman's Brew, and I had that on hiatus for a little while, and I'm, you know, just started getting that going. And how I long? Were, pro- how long were you on a break, Marcus? Could have been. Could, say. Couldn't have been long. Say. What's that? How couldn't have been longer than us? <laughs> no, <clears throat> no, you have the record for that. <laughs> I think I've, I'm maybe a year and a half, two years, something like that. Good, good. But uh, the reason that I, I had to go on hiatus is because uh, the I knew something was coming up and I could not release any more of the information that I had. I, I've been talking about a few things here and there. But I, I did get signs and, uh, you know, dreams and omens to wait. And so I put it on hiatus and it's just now – uh, coming, you know, back to the air, and at the same time, this all happened within a few days. Uh, I was approached by um, another uh, radio station that broadcast uh, around the world on shortwave. Oh, cool! And they want to carry the show. Outstanding. And so, and you know, and, and I've uh, been with uh, Todd Sheets, Jackalope Radio. Yeah, Todd. Yeah, tell him we said and, hello. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I got to call him uh, here pretty quick. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been with them and they have a lot of affiliates uh, around the world. I think I think his show has like four million listeners around the world. Wow. I have, um, you know, and through that, a lot of times when when I'm doing a special show, they'll bring me on and I'll talk a little bit about it. And, and my numbers go through the roof. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people in Australia for some reason. Uh, that's probably the highest concentration of any country, you know, of listeners. To, and, to your to uh, your to your stuff. To, to my show and Todd's both. Really, I wonder why. I'm not sure. That that's yeah. I, I've, well, I mean, well, I mean, it's topical right now, but with your subject matter, and we were talking about this thing with the Earth. I mean, obviously, Australia. You know, there's a. As far as like terrain and terra and things like that, yeah. that's those that's a group of people that are very much in tune with the earth. Oh, I yeah. think. Um, plus, the animals there are ridiculously scary. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be tough to live in Australia. Yeah. But I mean, they're, they're, I think that really is. I mean, I'm no expert on on Australia, but just you know the things that you know over many years of exposure uh, to a place like that. Um, they are a group of people. I mean, I know that, and I know they have their big cities there too. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they are that that is a country where that their culture is very much rooted in in nature and being a part of the earth more so than I think than other other societies on this planet. So that that may be a reason. I mean, I just kind of me shooting off the hip. But that may be that may be one of the reasons. No, I think you're right. It's uh, you know, they have their big cities, but that country is so vast and there's so much distance between that it's it's not like here where we've lost our connection. Uh, there's still a lot of people there that are, you know, very much uh, aware of uh, energy of uh, uh, the nature and of uh, of the actual planet and places. Um, it's. It's kind of unique in that way. I don't know of any other country that's at that level. And I think a lot of the shamans they have there, uh, I think they're, they go back much further than even the Toltec shamans. Really? 
Yeah, the Tol- Toltec shamans, uh, originally, uh, originally they were part of the Olmec tribe. And we're talking, you know, a few thousand years ago. And they, uh, the way they came about according to the, uh, you know, the origin story that's been handed down teacher to student, uh, the way that uh, they actually broke away from the Olmecs is there was a group that was, um, you know, they consisted of some shamans and some other people, you know, it wasn't just all shamans, but they at one point, and this all happened in, in one night, but they uh, they were separate from the other Olmecs. And the best that anybody's been able to tell me is that it's about 200 people. And uh, they said that the, uh, the people from the sky, the star people came down and they gave them their knowledge. It's, this knowledge, it's uh, they've been protecting for centuries now. Uh, this all came from what they call, you know, the star people. And this was in, uh, in Peru. And from that point on, they, they had knowledge and they were different from the other members of uh, the Olmec, uh, you know, tribe. And the Olmecs were nomads anyway. They were always traveling. But they were kind of feared. And so they, uh, they broke away and they headed north. And uh, that's how the Toltecs got their their start. Um, they went north until they came to uh, where Teotihuacan near Mexico City is, and that's a special place. I've I've been there. A lot of my lessons have been on top of the, you know, Pyramid of the Sun, and uh, underground that uh, some archaeologists haven't even discovered yet, but some of my lessons were were taught there. You know, to me. And that is a, a very special place, a lot of power there. And that's where they decided, you know, the the head guy decided that's where they're going to build it. And it took them a long time to build that city. Mm-hmm. But they built it and that's where their their knowledge actually supposedly came from as it was given to them by, you know, some other some other beings. And I'm assuming, you mm-hmm. know, they're alien. I don't know. Well, uh, they said star people. So this idea, that idea, we're talking about. I mean, I'm just a few minutes ago. I mentioned that myself. I'm like, you know, we're. I think we're all children of nature and ultimately children of the stars. Uh, yeah. I think this idea gets perpetuated to. I, I mean, I think the way it's being. I mean, we all watch the History Channel. Um, we didn't you say this over the weekend, Amber? Uh, I thought we were watching. Somebody was watching. My mom was watching Ancient Aliens. Your mom was watching Ancient Aliens, and I don't want to. We're not going to go down too far into the weeds on this one. <laughs> but I think what was your what, what did you say to me? I, it made me. I made me. It made me crack up. You're like they should start a drinking game for every time they say what was the term they. Come on, otherworldly. Otherworldly. They say that so much. They on say that, that show. word so many Could times. Could it be she, an otherworldly visitor? An she, otherworldly. <laughs> otherworldly. Yeah. Take, she, a, take yeah. a shot. Take Amber's a shot. like, we well, should have a drinking game for that. Every time you have you hear the word otherworldly, you have to do a shot, and we'd all be yeah. we'd all be totally shit faced probably about fifteen minutes into the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. But the point is, I think you know this idea. Just you know, just like 10, 15 years ago. The idea, you know, reading Von Daniken and things like this, um, the idea was fascinating to me. It still is fascinating to me uh, of, you know, okay, 
a lot of this cool stuff that we have and this cool knowledge we have, it, it came from somewhere and maybe we didn't figure it out. Somebody had it already and they gave it to us. Somebody who yeah. was super intelligent or with you know super technology, whatever you want to say. Um, that idea to me is still a fascinating premise to, to think about and go down. I think a lot, and I don't want to beat up on the History Channel, I don't want to beat up on anybody, but <laughs> I think that they've taken those ideas because they're really easy to, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun thing to talk about. I mean, let's, let's yeah. be honest, it's a very interesting, fun thing to talk about. I think a, a lot of media has taken this idea and just ran the football way past the goal line, though, I think, oh, to the point yeah. where it's almost, I, and I, I hate saying this too, but it's almost comical to a certain degree. They've made this into kind of like, oh, look at the crazy aliens that come down and given us more knowledge. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, this is a real idea, and I know you guys are selling a shitload of, making a shitload of money in advertising dollars, perpetuating it. I understand yeah. that, right? You know, and again, I'm not here to kill anybody or tell them uh, that, yeah, you know, well, they can't make a buck, but it, it seems to me it's, it's it's gotten a bit over. I think it's it's been talked about too much, maybe. That's right. It's you're you're completely you're right on that. It's they ran out of material, you know, new material <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. But they find new ways to uh, you know redo it and renew it, and uh, and they talk about it a lot and you know if you watch it for any length of time you'll see it start repeating and you know it, a lot of the stuff is interesting uh, I was at contact in the desert uh, with all those guys uh, in uh, I think it was May in yeah. May something like that in Palm Springs and uh, you know they you hear that story a lot um, you know that they're not saying it's aliens but it's aliens <laughs> and and you know otherworldly is a very common term there too but uh you know they're a lot of a lot of cool people and stuff they're nice yeah uh, yeah you know i met you know giorgio and eric Bondanikin and you know all, all those people but you're, you're right. They're running out of material here. Well, Giorgio, it's so funny to see. And I think maybe part of this, dare I say, more lighthearted idea on this now. You know, Giorgio was on our show a handful of times way before Ancient Aliens. And that's not like, you know, look how great we are. Uh, but that was before the haircut thing. <laughs> Let's just start with that. I mean, and he says, you know, Giorgio, before and after, the, he's he's cool. The guy is super cool. I love that yeah. guy. He's an, he's an amazing yeah. dude. He's a very knowledgeable person, and he's just super nice to talk to. His energy level is always the same. He's always super wound up. Uh, oh, yeah. And he was, you know, he was on the show a handful of times before that. We love the guy. Um, yeah, and but I think that you know him be kind of becoming a meme. <laughs> he literally became a meme uh, <laughs> overnight. Um, did kind of I think that may have a have a play in that though too. Uh, you know, and, and that's not the, nothing to take away from Giorgio either. He's a super cool guy. I love that guy. He's a, he's a, you know I think and again I think he's a brilliant dude. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff here. And Amber's been biting her nails here. She bit her nails right down to the nub. She's sitting here just ready to punch me in the head. Because um, there was a, we were going through all this stuff, you know, just you, you were nice enough to send us a couple things maybe we could chat about tonight like we, like we normally do. I, yeah. and, but you didn't just send us, a, you know, I'm like, hey, just 
hey, you know, let's just, you know, we may not even get well, to this stuff. It's enough stuff that yeah. I could talk to Marcus. Like we could do a, sh we could call Marcus every night before we went to bed and we'd say, okay, <laughs> let's pick this topic. Let's, you know, tell us the bedtime story yeah. about this. But no, what I'm curious about is because obviously <laughs> bedtime stories with Marcus. Bedtime stories with Marcus. It'll be an offshoot. Oh, dude, we got ideas. This is bad. Yeah, yeah sure do. <laughs> But obviously, when Ghostly Talk first began, it was, you know, focused on the paranormal. And when you came on the show, I know a lot of talk uh, back in the day was on the paranormal. And one of your bullet points was talking about beginning your paranormal research going all the way back. I hate to say all the way, but like 1972. <laughs> so the early 70s. And then so how have you what's your opinion on how things have changed since 72 to now in regards to paranormal investigation or how you approach it? Well, in the in the early 70s, there weren't very many people doing it. Uh, Hans Holzer was one, mm -hmm. uh, J.B. Ryan, and you know different you know Pratt, different people. Um, back then, like my very first investigation I ever did was in Van Nuys, California, and it was uh, my aunt and uncle's house actually, where there was a lot of activity at that time. Um, that's 71, I think. <clears throat> And uh, I was still in high school at the time, but I was interested in all that. So uh, that was the first investigation I did. And, you know, th there were things that happened in that house that I couldn't explain, but I didn't have all the equipment. Uh, I, uh, I had, for example, you know, one of my most powerful pieces of equipment was a notepad and pencil. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I had a flashlight and I had a, I did have a, a portable tape recorder, but it was reel to reel. And, uh, you know, and back then, that's there wasn't anything else really available. And, um, you know, these days, of course, it's crazy. They got all, all kinds of different things that uh, people are using. And, you know, every uh, it got to the point, I think it's dying off a little bit, but it got to the point where the market or where the field was so saturated that, you know, everybody was a ghost hunter. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, I, I kind of drifted away from the field at that time. You know, I was helping Jason and uh, and Grant, you know, with uh, some equipment. I, I gave you guys some of the early equipment that... Yeah, that I think I we was have. Working with. We, do we have the transdimensional transceiver? Is that the microphone? No, that's I. I have that, but uh, you have you have what the gold beryllium. You have the gold beryllium microphone. Okay. And that's uh, you know that's an artifact now. Right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we got one of our best EVPs with that thing. It was. It was Did a, you? Yeah, it was a trippy. And I, th I think going back to, I don't know if that was 2007 when you were on, I think we were actually discussing that. Was that, were we discussing that, Scott? That was uh, se the second talk? impressions. Yeah, we had this. That, that's where we were at. Was that, was yeah, that Yeah, we had a building. moment with, we recorded with that microphone and everything was crystal clear. Yeah. And then there was like a minute or two of, I guess how I would, I would describe it as static. And then I thought, you know, no one likes to, you don't like to alter anything when you're using you know, when you're going for an EVP, you don't want to run it through your software and mess with it. You want it to be raw. But some yeah. for some reason, I thought, you know, I'm just going to kind of tweak some things here because it seems like there's something there. Well, the audio that the audio that we did capture, I mean, I wouldn't call it static. It became very. There was something there. It was aggressive sounding. Let's just put it that way. Um, it was somewhat violent. Like 
it was kind of like uh, whoop whoop. There was like these. I, I would call it like like, huh. like like it would it would what it would do probably if you were looking at it like you know visually like visual audio. Um, it would have probably been like a very aggressive like just speed like swell of sound like it would become very quiet and then amplify very quick uh and that that i noticed was for you you said for about a minute something like that it was a long time but i i just i I haven't listened to the raw audio in a long time but then when i ran it through uh some software there was a voice that came through uh and i of course i i sent it to everybody and i'm like i'm not going to tell you what i hear you tell me what you hear and everybody came back with the same exact thing where you heard a woman say i'm not happy i'm not happy help me and it was in a house where a murder had taken place in you know the 20s and it was just really fascinating that this little clip of audio came through there but i i don't know so we did get that with that particular yeah we had that we set we set that up that yeah let it just sit for a couple hours but what led you to start developing your own equipment well you know like, like i said back in the the early years that i was doing that and i wasn't real aggressive in it uh, you know, I was just starting to dabble. Uh, in 73, I investigated the uh, Goldfield Hotel in Nevada. That's where Zach Baggins got his start when he captured that object flying through the air. Okay. And, you know, I didn't really have any other equipment um, even with me at that time. I was in the gold field for a whole different purpose. I was uh, living in Vegas, and I was running an antique store, and uh, we were buying furniture and things out of the hotel. Some of that turned out to be haunted, but uh, they had attachments to it. But I was in that same area where Zach Baggins was in the uh, in the basement of the hotel, and a shadow figure, you know, appeared to me at that time, and. I didn't have anything to record it. Uh, I just, you know, the, it was blocking my exit of the building of the room. And so I I just ran through it. And it was like, you know, it's it's almost like when your arm goes to sleep or your hand goes to sleep. That's what my whole body felt like as I went through it. And um, the uh, later that same uh, that same night, I had met someone that has had been mining back uh, in the turn of the century. Uh, this this was a long time ago, and he was, you know, really old, but uh, he had been mining there and um, worked in the, the different mines around the, the area. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that he worked with a guy that was uh, a high grader, and he would he'd work in the mines and he'd get the high-grade ore and stuff in his pockets, and then after work, he'd go hide it somewhere. And uh, it's, this is the story this guy was telling me, Jesse. And uh, he, he said that he followed this guy one night because, you know, he wanted to find out what he was doing with all, all the stuff he was stealing before he went to his boss. And the guy found out he was following him. And there was a hotel being built. Uh, it used to be the Nevada Club, and it burned down. And they were rebuilding it back up, and it would become the Goldfield Hotel. And underneath the Goldfield was a mine. They're building it right on top of a mine uh, that had, you know, gone dry. There wasn't any more gold. And so there was, you know, an open pit in that area. And this guy, you know, thought he was trying to steal his gold. And so he, you know, attacked him and jumped him. And this guy I was talking to, Jesse, he said he 
picked up a, a board and hit him and ended up killing the guy. Ooh. And so he never found out where he was taking the stuff, but he took the body. You know, he didn't, he was fairly young at the time and he didn't know what to do. So he took the body and he put it down the shaft and they continued building the gold field on it. And that exact place where the shaft is, is where Zach Baggins caught that brick flying through the air. And it's also where, you know, I encountered a, a shadow person like 30 years before him. But, um, you know, there. You were asking about the equipment, and there's, there's no. Um, even then, there wasn't really much to work with, and so I kind of drifted away from it a little bit. I was always interested in the paranormal, but when I started getting back into it, uh, when I I had more time and stuff after you know I got married and all that, um, I never really liked, you know, doing doing things the same way as everybody else. I always tried to find ways to do things differently. And so I started, you know, experimenting with microphones and different things. And then um, I got the idea to start uh, seeing what effect uh, magnetic uh, compression and electrical fields had on crystals and different rocks. And so I was putting them in. I was sitting in the lab, same place I'm sitting right now. And... I started, uh, I'd put a crystal in like a quartz and then I'd put, um, you know, maybe a garnet and different things in this field that was charged with like 30,000 volts of uh, you know, energy and just watch it just to see what happened and nothing was happening and I put uh, a beryllium crystal and uh, that, you know, beryllium crystals are emeralds and I put that in there and I was over working on the computer doing something. I turned around and looked and I saw this bluish field of energy glowing around the crystal. And that's how I I first learned, you know, just by, you know, an accident really. And the thing is the only reason I could see that bluish field is because I had already gone through years of training with Carlos to open up my awareness and perception mm -hmm. uh, to different energy fields. Otherwise, you know, I probably wouldn't even have seen it. And from that point on, I started working around the principle of using the beryllium crystals. And uh, that's how, you know, the microphone you have, that was one of the early experiments. I'll, yeah. have, to get you, I'll have to get you some new stuff. That we still Dang have. It. We still That'd have that, that device. Uh, it's it's actually about five feet away from yeah, us. It's wrapped five, up all night. It's wrapped up really? still. Um, yeah, we've we kept it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we've never gotten. It would still work. It still works. Yeah. It works just fine. We we yeah. plugged we plugged it in just recently. I plugged it in and it still records. It works just fine. It's 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 built to last, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Well, that that was something really. Uh, when you sent that to us, if I remember this correctly, I remember you sent you sent me an email or something and said, "You have a package coming to your PO box. Just be on the lookout for it." And I'm like, "Well, yeah. this, this is Marcus sending me this email. I gotta I gotta pay attention here." Okay, uh, and. Yeah, this box comes, and you know, you know, Doug and I, you know, we we obviously live in separate houses. <laughs> I was I live closer to the um, to the PO box. So I would always go, always go over there and pick up our mail and stuff. And um, yeah, I open that up, and there's this device that I pull out, and I'm like, what? The? You know, I won't I won't be I'll be talking like, what the fuck is this, man? <laughs> what, what what am I dealing with here? Um, and, you know, on the letter explained everything like you like you just explained. Also, it was an you know now it's an emerald and it's actually set in gold though. Am I correct? 
I thought you said uh, that emerald and gold. If I, I can look at it and tell you. I, yeah, I, yeah, it's surrounded uh, with uh, gold. The gold-plated uh, uh, silicon. Okay. Uh, which is basically gold-plated quartz uh, nodules, and it sits in, inside that. And that those act like a capacitor. I don't know how much you or your listeners know about electronics, but a capacitor will store an electrical charge yep. until it releases at the right time. That's what the uh, the gold-plated uh, nodules do. Mm -hmm. um, the emerald is what actual, you know, actually uh, pulls. What it does is it pulls energy from the best I've been able to perceive. It pulls energy from the plane of power, the thing they call the etheric field, uh, scientists call it the zero point field, mm -hmm. it pull, it siphons a small amount of energy. And it's just enough so that it causes, you know, an effect you're dealing with uh, both the physical world and the world of spirit at the same time. And that's the reason, you know, it gets results. Uh, mm -hmm. It's evolved quite a bit since then. I would like to, you know what I think we may do for fun, because we're talking a bit about this. I, I think people, if you're cool with this, Marcus, I'd like sure. you to maybe shoot some pictures of this thing, because we never really, I, I think we may have, I mean, we obviously talked about this device a lot, you know, back in the old days, um, but I don't think we ever really put any pictures up of it. Uh, if we took some pictures of this, I mean, the one that you gave us years and years ago, we may put it up for this, for this you know, for this show post, you know, as, as a visual yeah. thing. Would that be cool with you? Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah, cool. I mean, we just yeah. it'd be cool for people to see this, I think, because it's a really amazing. And this was made by you know, handmade by you, and you just yeah, it's it's a little crude. It's got that that big you know silver chunk of metal sticking out the front. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pure silicon, and it's you know it's not silicon dioxide, which is sand. That's the actual silicon metal, mm -hmm. and and that you know acted as a uh, an antenna you know to pull. Um, EVPs and subtle energies in uh, through, you know, and then into the um, the uh, beryllium crystal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, changed now. Uh, the transdimensional transceiver that I experiment with, that's even changed three times now. Um, it uses uh, lasers. It doesn't even have a microphone. Holy crap. It it just uses lasers that uh, shoot across an energy field that has a magnetic compression. It's like we put North Pole and North Pole together and they push apart. You know, it's extremely strong. It's not anything you could hold with your hands. I was going to say, that and sounds a bit dangerous, Mark. It's 80,000 volts. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit dangerous, yeah. man. It's it zapped me a few times. Oh, that's it? Oh, no. Yep. But, but what, uh, why lasers? I mean, I, I and I, I am speaking completely as a layman here. So if I sound stupid, I apologize. Why lasers, though? Well, one of the the problems, and and again, it's because I wanted you know everybody was using the you know Sony tape recorders and digital recorders and all that, and um, even when we uh, yeah that was you. We had that round table with. Uh, with Mark, what's his? Mark uh, Macy. Mark Macy. Yeah, Mark yeah, Macy. Mark yeah, Mark Macy. We had that roundtable, that discussion one time, where about the Spiricom devices. Yeah. And that used that used shortwave radio, but I was trying to get away from anything that could be, um, you know, that that could be, uh, you know, a false reading. I was gonna uh, say anything could be anything that could be polluted. Basically. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, That's yeah. Good and and microphones too. Um, microphones can pick up 
you know, sounds pretty subtle that you can't even hear with your ears. And so I decided, uh, you know, let's get rid of the microphones entirely. And I used a, uh, a laser, a modulated laser beam. And so I could play sounds across it directly without a microphone or any sound generated would come to, you know, the amplifier and be amplified. So there, there was no chance of any contamination. You could do it with radio waves too, but you got the chance of cross-contamination exactly. uh, with something outside. A laser is a laser. Nothing else is going to interfere with it. And my hope was that, you know, an entity or spirit could... Uh, see the opportunity and do something with the laser and all they have to do is modulate that beam of light and you know it's I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not um, I was using beryllium crystals too uh, that I got away from recently I now use magnetic fields on Helmholtz coils which is a perfectly balanced magnetic field but um, the lasers and the magnetic fields uh, you can't really interfere with those and I wasn't sure if it was going to work. And, you know, I had the thing. I turned the thing on and let it play. And I don't know. I can't remember the timeline. I don't know if I ever gave you any of those or not, those EBPs. We never got any of those, no. Okay. Well, I've got two-way conversations. Oh, jeez. Wait, wait, but here's you know, a question. Here's a question, though, Mark, Marcus, about that, though. So uh, you, you, this device is fired up. Um. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But you still have to record it to something, though, right? I mean, you still have to ha yeah. archive it somehow. Yeah. So is that what you're going to ask? Amber? I was just going to ask, are you, are you, is this something you're hearing in real time, or yeah, you okay. have to go back and listen to well, a recording? Well, I was, I was uh, hearing it in real time because I had it uh, hooked up. You know, it was playing through the, the computer, and it, so everything was being recorded. But uh, I also had it on the audio on the speakers, and you know, because it it gets boring after a few hours of sitting there listening to nothing, and uh, so I just go about my other work. And I was, you know, sitting in my chair listening, and uh, all of a sudden a voice came through, and it's uh, what did it say? It's, I think it said something like "Hello, Mark." And I'd be like, fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. I spun around. You know, I'm on a swivel computer chair. I spun around, fell out of the chair and uh, ran over because I, you know, there's no microphone on the stream. But in order for me to communicate, I had to, you know, put a switch where I could turn the switch on and inject my voice into the stream. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, I ran over across, you know, and flipped the switch and, you know, I, I said, hello, you know, did you just call my name? And, uh, and then I turned the switch off and about for a second or two later, it comes back and says, so how are things on your side? And, uh, <laughs> they just got, they just got a lot weirder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and the problem is I was at that time I was using, uh, carrier waves because I would get a little bit of results if I didn't if I just had the laser running but it's it seemed that if I, I injected a wave you know a sound bite uh, just a tone or a wavering tone you know into the uh, laser that uh, it had something spirit had something to, to manipulate to modulate and so I started doing that, and, and this is the case with, uh, with this one. There was a, a wavering tone, and I 
found that those tones, they reach a point, you know, in sound where a window opens up. And it's a window of opportunity, basically, where uh, someone from the other side can, you know, reach in and do something to the, uh, the laser modulation. But then that window closes again because I've never been able to get more than a, a few seconds of, you know, conver- well, that was the only two-way conversation uh, to, the, to date. But the new device I have, I haven't, uh, you know, fully put on, you know, turned it on yet, put it mm. that way. And it'll eliminate a lot of those problems. I've, you know, had a lot of other things I've been doing, so I haven't had the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the laser-driven one, um, I got all assortment of things. I got things in different languages. I got uh, Native American-type uh, EVPs. I've got animals uh, like dogs. Um, I've got, uh, you know, intelligent um communications where a voice came through asking what that was and uh, and then I flipped the microphone on and, and I tried to communicate and then a second voice uh, said he can hear us cool. and 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 then it just kind of fades away so it, it get you know it gets a little frustrating when you open up a communication channel and you can't keep it open and so that's what the the new design uh, using uh, what's called Helmholtz coils, which create perfectly balanced. There's no no part of a magnetic field that's stronger than the other. And I can manipulate the coils. And what I'm basically doing is ripping the bale apart, opening it uh, up at a certain point, you mm. know, without all the tones. So I'm I'm hoping to get better results, you know, with that. Do you think it, there? And we I know this is a matter of opinion. And I'm just more curious about your viewpoints. I think it's pretty clear what your what your viewpoint is. But I'm wondering, do you think there's any danger in doing this, Marcus? Uh, as you there just said, like ripping, the voil op- like ripping the veil open like this, is there any danger, do you think? The, well, the veil opens and closes. The veil, first of all, the veil doesn't really grow thin. It doesn't uh, – you can't tear it open. Uh, that was just more of a figure of speech. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, but what happens with the veil is it's it's like uh, if you're looking at a stream running and it's going over rocks or something or it's, you know, you got the rapids and you look in the water and it might only be three feet deep, but you can't see the bottom because the surface is so distorted. Mm-hmm. And what happens with the veil when you open these communication channels up is the veil becomes calm. It's like you, uh, you slow it down with the, the Helmholtz coils. What uh, I've run a few experiments with them, so I, I know what it's doing, but it slows down the surface of the veil so that it's not real agitated. Uh, the veil is naturally agitated. Um, yeah, the veil is a barrier. I call it the buffering zone between our world and the next so they don't converge. And it, it's a natural barrier. And during, um, the, you know, the surface of it is always kind of milky or vibrating. And the reason for that is the sun. The cosmic radiation from the sun uh, causes the veil uh, to actually vibrate and become agitated at the surface. And when it's like that, it's hard to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, at uh, there's a point every night 
uh, between midnight and 3 a.m., which is considered the witching hour, that um, the sun is so far on the other side of the earth that the cosmic radiation can't penetrate. And there's, it's the point of least disturbance, mm-hmm. and the veil becomes calm. And that's why uh, not all you know, activity can happen any time, but uh, the majority of um, sightings of uh, ghostly activity, for example, and also, oddly enough, the, uh, the, the best time or the most common time for alien abductions is midnight to 3 a.m., and that's when the veil is actually the calmest. That's when you can move things, energy back and forth. And um, certain times a year, like on in around Halloween, and then again in uh, around May first, uh, the veil actually starts to calm down. And it's just the positioning of the Earth and Sun. Mm-hmm. And people say it grows thinner, but it it grows calmer. It doesn't grow thinner. And uh, when it's calm, you know, if you look at a stream that can be 10 feet deep, if the water is calm on the surface, you can see the rocks on the bottom you real can clear. See it. You can totally see right through it if it's if, if, if it's clear, like you said. Yeah. I'm trying to Same. picture. I'm sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, um, go ahead. As you were talking about uh, the newest, the newest version of the TDT. Uh, I'm trying to picture myself as somebody on the other side. Because uh, one of the one of the one of the dialogues you had was it sounded like two voices, and one said, "You know, he he can hear us." I think I think that's what you said a second ago. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I have the memory of a goldfish these days. Um, so, it, to me, it just seems like you know, you know, I'm trying to picture, and you know, this is a very big thing to try to try to conceptualize in your mind. But, you know, what it's like on, you know, on this other side that we're talking about, this ethereal realm we're talking about, you know, is it just that these two guys, let's, t- let's say they're two guys or two gals, whoever they may be, um, are walking down some street, like maybe they have streets there, I don't know, uh, and they just see this thing, they just see this beacon, they see something, they don't, you know, and it's, I mean, to me, it's like, if it's a beacon of this sort, if we were walking down the street in this plane of existence and something yeah. kind of like just came out of thin air, like some light beacon or some type of formation just kind of came out of thin air, um, you know, I can't say myself what I would do. I mean, I like <laughs> to think I like to think that I would oh, let's let's explore. We need to learn. On the other hand, I've been faced with a handful of things that scared. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. I, I I'm a scaredy cat sometimes. Um, I mean, I heard that a long time ago from somebody who said, you know, when they said the unknown equals death to some people, and I've been saying that for years. And death scares me. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not that in tune yet. I don't think uh, the <laughs> idea of death and the idea of dying is still something that's you know something I'm trying to understand still. So that being you know on that point. Um, if something, if I'm walking down the street on this side and something just kind of materializes out of nowhere and then some voice comes out of it, um, I'm not sure what I would do, but it sounds like maybe on that side and that plane of existence in this ethereal realm, there may be more curiosity. Well, there's curiosity here, but maybe there isn't the, at least for, and I think I'm not the only one who would feel that way, Marcus. Yeah, Uh, no, that's, that's. 
that's normal. I would be freaked uh, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that isn't and, the case, though, on the other side. Yeah, and on the other side, and, you know, it's... I don't. I don't like to go too much in into it because uh, I don't like all the woo-woo stuff. And no, you know, I, age, we don't need to go any further, and you don't want to, man. Stuff. I, it's but, fine. You know, it's. Uh, I'm speaking from experience because, yeah. you know, I have been in the veil. Um, I haven't been completely on the other side, but it was part of my apprenticeship with Carlos. Uh, he he took me to a point, altered my perception, so I could look. I was looking into the veil. It's uh, you know I was no longer seeing the world around me, and the veil that we talk about uh, it it has uh, the buffering zone. Veil has a uh, a definite dimension. You know it's uh, it's hard to really say. It's not hundreds of miles, but it's uh, it's miles. You know across. And it's a bluish gray color, and there are lights. There's um, things moving around, and then there's there's things that you would call ghosts that uh, uh, are moving around, you know, in it. And you know, one that was one of my lessons. And he told me not, to, you know, if I see something, not to focus on it. Just, you know, of course, you know, you see a ghost that has a figure of a. A person and it's kind of hard not to and so I I saw this thing and it had a you know it was a face it was like a ball of light first and it turned into a face and you know I was I was staring at it and it started coming closer and closer and then oh, next thing I, I know you know Carlos had grabbed me and thrown me backwards on the ground and uh, you know chastising me he's telling me i told you not to do that and all this what happens is you can bring it through you know the veil by doing that uh because the veil was extremely translucent at that point and um you know i i believe that i was actually crossed over with my physical body to the the outer edges of it and um and that's you know that's what you would see if you were able to shift your awareness, which almost anybody can learn to do it. That's kind of what my books are about. Mm -hmm. But um, that's what you would see is things like that moving around. Now, on the other side, looking backwards, uh, a device like what we're talking about um, or uh, someone who's you know extremely sensitive, a psychic medium, uh, here in our world, if there was something on the other side, they would stand out. They would they would stand out like a paranormal beacon. They would be a bright, you know, light. And that's why a lot of uh, psychic mediums and stuff they have problems. They they don't know how to turn the switch off because you know a spirit on the other side sees it. And and a lot of them, you know, they want to get back or they want to communicate very badly with us. And so they're, they're attracted to it. Uh, this device gives off the same kind of light. And mm -hmm. it's it's uh, the, the best I can figure because things aren't the same there as far as perception. Uh, you can see 360 degrees on that on that side because you're not dependent on physical eyeballs. And uh, so things are a little different. But uh, the best that I can tell you is that if you're on the other side and you're able to get into the veil or close to it, 
you're going to see like a shimmering, uh, almost like a, a heat uh, a heat uh, barrage that you see above the road sometimes. You'll see something yeah. like that, and there'll be uh, possibly light coming through it. And entities on the other side have a more developed uh, sense of awareness and perception than we do here. We have a lot of things that hold us back. And so they see these things, and they go to them. And, um, you know, they're probably fairly common, you know, occurrence on that side. And it's it's something if they want to try to communicate, they're going to go to it. You know, they're drawn to the light, uh, you know, like moths. And, and so they go to it uh, out of curiosity and then also the ones that know where, what has happened to them, know that they're dead, uh, they may want to try to communicate. And so they take any opportunity like that. Um, on this side, we do see things like that. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh, when you see a, a shadow that's unexplained or a shadow person even, uh, that's an entity right up against the veil. And what's happening is they've gotten, they haven't breached the veil. They're still, you know, in between worlds. But what's happening is the light from our physical world, uh, ambient light, is being, you know, going to that spot. And instead of being reflected back like any place else, it's absorbed. And so that they stand out as shadows. Okay. And so those are entities that are either trying to cross into our world or just observing us. Um, you know, like the different shadow people that people see. Yeah. Uh, and and this thing, well, it, it's, a, it's a curiosity, I think, you know, you know, listening to what you have to say about this, Marcus. I think it's a curiosity the same on both sides. We see things here. You know, if you're a person that's grieving on this yeah. side, Mm-hmm. It's natural. We, we've heard this uh, millions of times. Um, you know, a person that's grieving, a lot of times they have unresolved issues with whoever they're grieving about, right? Yeah. Or they just want to say one more time, hey, I love you, or hey, be careful, all that good, or, you know, make sure you have clean underwear. I don't know. They want to say something, right? Um, yeah. um, so when that opportunity, or maybe they think that opportunity arises, I think a lot of people in that situation, they jump at that opportunity to communicate, right? Yeah, and yeah it, they it, do. It sounds like it's the same on the other side, too, um, which is it makes perfect sense to me, at least. Uh, you know, you, you may feel the same way. Sometimes people go, um, you know, unexpectedly. It happens a lot. It happens every day. Uh, there's unresolved issues there. Uh, yeah. And I think they may they may want to communicate the same way. So that's a lot. That's a, that's a very interesting similarity uh, that I see between these two worlds we're talking about. Yeah, it is similar, and you know, and there are different levels on the other side. Uh, we're talking about the veil, and uh, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the the portal between our world and and that world. But they these entities don't live in the veil. They're just able to come into it more so than we are. And there's all kinds of entities that can come in the veil, good and bad. Uh, some of them have a curiosity. Some of them, you know, are trying to make contact with our world. Uh, some of them 
don't exist there. They they exist on a, a higher level, you know, like the um, there's there's different focuses at the Monroe Institute. Uh, that they call them focus 10 focus 12 focus 15 mm -hmm. there's different levels of uh dimensions that you know entities go to when they cross over you know when you leave this world and the uh in order to reach someone who's not right there uh there's there seems to be some type of you know chain or something you can get a message through to somebody but the problem is you're dealing with the veil and you're dealing with uh, the lower entities like the the first and second level of the astral plane. Um, you heard people talk about astral projection and the astral plane. The first and second levels of seven levels are where a lot – there are lower fr frequency vibration. There are where a lot of the, uh, the negative yeah. thoughts – thought forms, uh, any negative entities. The, the problem is a lot of things that, uh, that people do here with human intention, they can actually create a negative thought form there, especially if they start doing it together. You know, people who play Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering or things like that, they're, they're living in a fantasy world but creating it on the first and second level of the astral plane. So a lot of those things, if there's enough energy put into it and if there's enough people uh, focusing on the same thing, it becomes a reality in a different dimension. And those things can come through sometimes when you're uh, trying to communicate like through a – uh, Ouija board or through EVPs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's hard unless you have a working relationship with something or someone on the other side, it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, you had Karen on your show recently and, yeah. and, uh, you know, Karen's a friend of mine, but she has, um, she has entities that, that she works with, with this type of relationship. And so there's not, much danger and anything you know bad happening um people can you know bring in other entities most entities don't have the power to do you know anything um but there there are some there are, there are which you they're rare but there are demonic uh, forces uh that are centered around you know doing destruction to the the physical world and humans and you can bring those those through with anything. You can a medium can sit there and do it. It's not necessarily a Ouija board. A mm -hmm. uh, Ouija board makes contact, but there still needs to be something there, you know, to come through. So it's it's a lot of hype about the negativity of the Ouija board. Um, you know, I collect them personally. Oh, you you need to see our house, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I collect them too. You got it's the reason yeah. it's the reason Amber was really she really wanted to talk to Karen. Um, yeah. Who, of course, she was nice enough to come and chat with us. Um, but yeah, and that was one of the things with her we did get into was that that negative. You know, obviously the bad rap the Ouija board has. That's yeah, uh, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, it's totally Hollywood. But you know, going down this thought process, we are talking about you know these negative, uh, these negative thought patterns, these negative entities. Let's call them. You know, yeah. and this is not, and this isn't going to really. I guess the I, what I've been thinking about is maybe we're not really meant to um, to have a two-way communication with these other these other astral planes. You know, I'm not saying that you should stop. We should stop work right now. Um, 
I don't think there's been any any negative thing that's happened as a result of the research that you've done, for example, or anybody else has been doing. But, you know, some of these things, it sounds like because the question I've been asking myself over and over again, Marcus, was, okay, well, what if one day this veil that we're talking about just vaporized and there was no veil anymore and our worlds could see each other as clear as day like our our worlds were one right and i know we're getting really i mean there's yeah this is total weed talk i get it but it's like i mean (laughs) our worlds are one i mean i don't know if that would necessarily be the greatest thing that that that, i don't think that would be very good for all of us no it would be cataclysmic um there are reasons and you'd have to get into religious beliefs and things uh, about the way the the universe uh, the multiverse is constructed and it's the chance of it happening by just chance or coincidence is extremely rare Uh, something designed everything the universe the way it is and there are reasons that the physical world is separated from you know the the astral and the higher dimensions the mental and the the uh, the planes that go up even higher than that the different dimensions uh, and that's just in our section of the universe of the multiverse there are many many of them you know infinite number as far as we know mm-hmm. um, the reason they're separated is, is because there's a plan involved, uh, a plan of uh, evolution and uh, both you know, uh, mentally and, and physically. If the veil were to disappear and you could talk, you know, let, let's say that your, um, your mother or your um, you know, a wife that died or something, could suddenly come back and talk to you, you would never move on emotionally. Uh, people wouldn't be able to, even once they got used to the shock, you know, it's when you have feelings of intense love for somebody, and that doesn't ever die. But it's as, as you separate the two entities, the person that crossed over and the physical person, um, there may still be love there, but you can still function and eventually you know, get back into a normal, you know, routine in your life. That would not be possible if, uh, you know, the ghost of, you know, a loved one or somebody you didn't love that didn't like you if they were <laughs> hanging around you. So it's, it, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. So it, it would be disastrous if, if that happened. And that's the whole purpose. That, that veil is the only thing that keeps that from happening. And it's like a current of energy that is rotating, almost like a uh, tube that keeps the two dimensions apart because we're, we're different uh, you know, densities. And that allows the, the two to stay apart. Mm. And uh, energy can still get through not physical world energy like electricity. Uh, certain types of light can, but... Um, what happens is you get a uh, a frequency following a response, a, a resonance, where you have something you have. That, and that's what happens when people get EVPs. They they get something, an agitation on the surface of the veil that causes energy to go into their little recorders uh, or their eyes if they can see something, 
but they're not it's not the actual spirit energy itself coming at you or that you're hearing a voice from the other side you're getting a disturbance that resonates with our energy and in our magnetic and electric fields in our world um you know it resonates and it creates you know the uh, actual you know effect in a microphone it's like if you take uh, two tuning forks and you hit one of them and just put them close together the other one will start vibrating at the same frequency even though they're not touching mm -hmm. it's a uh, resonance and uh, and so that's you know kind of what keeps the veils apart energies allowed to resonate back and forth uh, the re the way that we can go to these places is because we our energy bodies uh, vibrate at different frequencies and they're layered just like the layers you know of the universe mm -hmm. and so if you learn how to how to engage your consciousness into a certain frequency vibration uh, you can actually go to these places and meet face to face with these people. Uh, that you know that a lot of the equipment I have and stuff that I do I don't necessarily need it I just thought it was cool <laughs> and and you know that I can do it physically mm -hmm. um, you know it can be done by altering consciousness and uh, and actually you know you just it's a personal experience it's very personal you can't bring anything back you know that's that's a very interesting thought there that I've never even really looked at because they're you know itc yeah i mean it's something i've always been fascinated with um but you know i you just i think you just said it though i mean it, if you're able to train your your mind and body to become that far in tune where you can go and go to these places and communicate like that yeah you're not really bringing any type of you know and you know what not that it matters but yeah you're not bringing any evidence back right I think yeah. the only reason that there really is this use for ITC and these devices, yeah, and I agree, they're pretty damn cool, right? But yeah. um, it is to create that artifact, some type of evidence to prove. That's, that's the only use I can really see from devices like this. I've never really thought yeah. about this too much before. Um, yeah, it makes me think, like, why the hell is people going through all this work and trying to figure stuff out when they can more or less spend the same amount of time training their body and their mind to communicate the same yeah. way? Yeah, and ultimately, it's it's a very personal experience, uh, even with uh, deity, you know, with the creator, or God, or, you know, whatever religion you follow. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you can share it with others, you know, tell stories and things. You don't have any proof of it. And but it is really personal between you and the deity. Um, and there's no reason for it to be any different. Uh, people gather together in churches and things and they they share, you know, a common interest in, interest. But uh, mm -hmm. ultimately, it's just you and the creator. There is nothing you know, that you can share with anybody. Now, it's similar when we're, you know, with the spirit world, which is on a whole different level than the creator. But um, that's that's what, you know, is cool about some of this stuff is you can show people who don't believe or people who don't have the ability, you know, to shift their consciousness. Yeah. You can, you can show them evidence. I mean, this 
this is something that was captured. Well, and, uh, this thing has become, for me, many years ago, it has become whatever this study is, because there's so much, you know, all these ideas. We're covering a lot of stuff here, right? And, yeah. but I mean, that idea, it sticks with me. It's just simply this has become just a personal thing for me. I don't really concern myself anymore with evidence, let's say, right? Yeah. If I have an experience of something, which I have, um, I would just prefer to have that experience. I'm not looking to prove – I mean – I think the idea of, of evidence, if somebody was able to prove something, you know, conclusively with some type of evidence, I'd be the first one in line to see it. I want to know all about it. Right. Yeah. But this thing we're talking about here, though, to me, is the most important thing is this journey and this quest that we're all on. Yeah. To to learn or or experience something. Right. Uh, and you're and like you've already said. You're not going to bring anything back that you can go here. This is it right here. This is zeros and ones. It'll tell you everything. All yeah. you're going to have is your experience, you know, your personal thing. Um, to me, that's the most important part. I don't think people think like that anymore. Not to shit on other people. <laughs> but, yeah. But I don't think people are thinking like this anymore. I, you know, I've been saying this since the early days. Uh, I think the biggest problem we have. And this goes back to this negative vibration going to the other side that we were discussing a few minutes ago. Um, I think people's, uh, their foresight is about the end of their nose, right? And that's not always Uh their fault. I think people are just distracted with a lot of other things in life. I mean, it's it's natural. You got to make a living. You have to take care of your family. There's these things that we were taught that we have to do, which I think are very noble things, and you should do them, right? But I think yep. that creates a massive distraction, um, and people don't think about these things that we're talking about right now. They can't. They're too distracted. Um, yeah, there, there are good parts to society, and there's bad parts, and that's the bad part is that it's uh, desensitized us. It's, uh, it's clouded us. Um, you know, reality that's it's just sitting there right at the tip of your fingers and yeah. you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, even time itself, uh, time doesn't exist, but because of the society that we've evolved into, we see things linear. Yeah. But it's not really linear. Mm-hmm. It's happening, you know, at all times. But here, that's the only way you can perceive it. You have to move your consciousness up to see beyond time. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's part of society, you know. We all see the same thing when you hold up an apple, we see an apple, and that's because society, um, you know, of the times, it's in the Toltec uh, tradition, it's called the tonal uh, of the times. That means the way that everybody thinks the same. Uh, our parents, you know, taught us what an apple looks like, and our assemblage point, which is the thing that, you know, the energy spot where all lines of awareness travel through on each person that's the thing that aligns our frequency that uh of what we see in in reality and all humans are approximately the same and we all see the same thing we see an apple as an apple uh if you were to shift your assemblage point just a fraction of an inch that apple would look like a field of energy 
and that's its true nature. That's what things look like. And you would still identify it as an apple, but in a totally different way. And uh, and and people that are psychic and sensitive, uh, their their assemblage point has a vacillation to it. It it vibrates now and then, and when it vibrates, it's moving in and out of that area. And that's why sometimes they see things that we don't. And, and that can be a nuisance too, you know, to have you know somebody come in the middle of the room when you're, you know, sleeping or you know on the toilet or something, and <laughs> you know that that would be very annoying. And so we, you know, as humans in our society, we can't see things like that. Yeah. And um, you know, so it's it's um, it, it's a, a tough subject. You know, it's. Yeah. People, like you say, people can, anybody can learn. In fact, that's the purpose of this knowledge that I've been asked to release by the lineage is, you know, it's information that for those that want to learn, you know, you don't have to, but for those that are looking for something more, how to do these things that we're talking about uh, without the equipment, um, it's, it's a way to help them, you know, on their own path of discovery in their life. Yeah. And I think that's what I, you know, I really, you know, I am far from a new agey type person. I mean, I'm as rooted in as far as like being in the rat race, let's say I'm no different. You know, I, I and I and it's it's humility's. You know, I have my humility, I guess <laughs> I, 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 I'm wound up in. Oh, I got to check the oil on the car. I got to check the tires on the car. I got to clean the house. Yeah. Gotta, you know, all them dumb mundane things you have to do every day. Right. Um, but it's something uh, the older I get, the more I'm thinking about, you know, and I think it's just this mortality thing too. You know, every year you grow, you start thinking more about, Oh man, what's going to, you know, I'm getting closer and closer. God knows what's going to happen to me. Um, uh, so you start thinking more about, you know, I know I become much more introspective, uh, about myself and also just looking around the universe around me. Uh, you know, and I've kind of been doing this for a while, too. We've, you know, given the subject matter of our show we did for many years. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's something I think I'm trying to remove that distraction. You know, and that's one thing. I mean, if people that are listening to this show, uh, that may be a fun experiment for yourself. It's something that I'm trying to do where I put the phone down. You know, I, yeah. I put the phone down. I look at the moment. I try to be in the moment of things that are around me, whether it's something really exciting or whether it's something that may be even mundane. Um, One thing I've always said to people is there's a name for anything. I know you've had this, Marcus. You've talked, you've called someone on the phone or they've called you and let's say they've called you and they, and they, Hey, so what's going on, Marcus? What you doing? And you say nothing. And and I, Uh and I've always said, I've always said, I'm like, (laughs) There's no real, there's a name for everything you do. Oh, yeah. You can't truly do nothing. <laughs> I think even when you are That's not, doing something. It's doing something, right? Yeah. It's kind of a funny, weird thing. Even when, you're, even when you're laying on the bed and you aren't moving around or building things or cleaning things or whatever, maybe you are doing something, you're resting your body. That is, I think, an important thing that people need to do that they don't do enough of either. Right. Yeah, um, that's right. So that, that's, you know, to this whole human condition type thing we've been talking about here. Um, you know, I think that's the thing is I think people are way distracted. 
And that's one thing oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see people get become more focused on, you know, thinking about things a little bit more. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's gotten worse, and that's that's one of the things too. We started off the show talking about, uh, um, you know, how how people are moving away from their center, and recently one of the the major contributors to that is cell phones, and. Yeah, you know, one one time, a lot. In fact, a lot of times, I'll I'll go somewhere where there's a lot of people, and I'll watch, and most of them are looking down at their phones. Oh and yeah. And they're ba- they're basically walking around the world, asleep. They don't see nature around them. They don't. That's that's one of the reasons we can't see a lot of things that we should be able to see. Um, it, you know, it's because our focus is elsewhere, and now. It's gotten really bad because especially the younger people are on their phones constantly, and that becomes their world. They're creating a whole separate world, um, you know, through through the internet and the phone service and all that. Mm-hmm. And they're actually drifting away from the real world, uh, the real world, and yeah, that causes a lot of emotional problems. This is one of those things too, Marcus. I think, and this isn't the get off my lawn thing. I, I don't think we're two crotchety <laughs> old men bitching about the younger generation. I, no. I really don't feel that way. If I'm any, I, I've argued, frankly, myself, and we've had plenty of conversations here at the house about this, conver- you know, this very, these damn kids, these damn kids. You know, I never <laughs> thought I'd ever get to this point. But, I, but I've said to my friends verbatim, I've said, look, man, I know there's things that are irritating you about the younger generation, but, this is the way the world changes when you know when 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 the older ones die off and the younger ones take over things. But this is one of those things, Marcus. This very subject you just brought up here, with the with the phone thing. Um, and I, I don't want to turn into get off my lawn type stuff, but that yeah. is it's true, man. No, there, this is something that's very wrong. I think, and this isn't just younger people though, too. Let's not discriminate. Oh, yeah. This is this is older people. This is all anybody who had, who has an interest in the meaning the means to do to utilize the technology, they use it, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not just younger people. I think it's a it's a global phenomenon, and it is simply what you said. People are not in they're not anywhere. They're in this world now that is this little device in their hand that can do a lot of really amazing things, I think. I mean, I, I won't neglect to say that. It's a marvel of technology, but I think it really has turned the antennas off of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it has. As far as, um, you know, for the human uh, species, it's it's opened up communication channels that, you know, in ways we've never had before. Yeah. But that's detrimental to the... Uh, actual human condition to the species because now we're living in little worlds some people having entire relationships on an electronic device it's not even real and yeah. um, it just it, it keeps them from living life and it's nothing wrong with the phones i mean i have the phone too and you know i send text messages just a little slower than some of the younger people <laughs> but um you know it's it's a useful tool, you know, especially if you're running a business or something. It's it, but it's also can be. Uh, it's one of the most abused, you know, social tools I think there is, and it's abused to the point where it's stealing people's lives. 
it, it, their awareness away from them. It really is. Um, and, and I want to stress that this isn't something I think personally where it's not my age coming through. Uh, where, you know, again, the damn kids or whatever. This is something that I, I, and we're not the only ones talking about this. There's a lot of people that are saying, man, no, put the damn phone down, right? It started with driving and now it's gone to everything. Like, dude, put the phone down. I, you know, and I'm, Amber will tell you too, I, I get beat up from her on a regular basis because we'll sit down to have a meal together. And I'll look at my, be looking at my, I won't say, I, I was going to say, I'll look at my phone as in a singular second of looking at my phone. No, I'm staring at my phone, right? And she'll be like, put your damn phone down. Let's talk. Yeah, uh, I don't think you, at dinner time, I don't think anyone should yeah. have their phones out looking at them. I think you got other people to talk to, look across the table. That's your phone. That's your screen. On yeah. your screen. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Your phone, especially at a time when you should be socializing with family, uh, that phone should be turned off unless you need it for emergency purpose, like a doctor or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. You know, what did we do 20 years ago when there were no cell phones? You know, it's it, it's it's you, almost it's hard. Talked. Yeah, it's hard to even remember that, to be honest with you. I mean, it's people say, well, what do we ever do without this? I'm like, well, we did just fine. Well, I could argue that we people would then before the phones, you had the whole TV tray and everyone would sit in front uh -huh. of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so you still had a screen, but you're eating in front of the television Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I did that. I mean, we did that a lot. Yeah. You get all your TV trays, your TV dinner. But I, yeah, I that's go that's ahead, very common. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 very common. Yeah. And it's something that, uh, you know, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it's something that people should get back to. There should be at least one time in the day when it's only people. It's no electronic devices or other distractions. Yeah. I think. And, well, there is a movement. I mean, I'm seeing it. You know, to put some light on this, I mean, there are, you know, at least where we live, I mean, there are communities coming, like growing, I think, where it is, they are trying to go back to nature. They're trying to move away from, I mean, there's this thing, I think, where you have a healthy use of technology, right? Uh, I think there, I, there, I think there's a way to do it where you can... You can enjoy technology. I, you, know, you, can, you can utilize it and, like you said, use it as a tool. But know that you, know, you have a life to live and that you know, there are forests that you can go to. There's places you can go to have real conversations with people, not just sit there and pump, pump away with your thumbs, right? Uh, I think there are communities I've seen where people are they're aware of this yeah. and they want to go out there and, and be a part of what we refer to as the real world, right? So I don't think it's all, it's not everybody, and none of this stuff, it's never that simple. It's, it's always much more complicated. Um, but I think, you know, I think going back to the very point of this, I think this that's, could be one of the main problems we have where people don't want to experience or think about the heavy shit we've been talking about here tonight. <laughs> I don't know yeah. any other way to say it. Um, yeah, and it's you know, they're they're not aware that other things exist. If they, you know, if they would just take the time to try to reconnect and then to open themselves up, their awareness. It, it takes a little bit of work, but once they see through that, uh, you know, through different eyes like that, it's amazing what's out there. It makes all the things like video games and, uh, you know texting people cell phones and things like that it's it just blows that out of the water 
yeah. when you can you can actually see other entities, other worlds. Uh, some of the more adept Toltec shamans learn how to use the energies of the the earth itself. You were talking about how powerful the energy is, and they can literally latch on to lines of force, not magnetic, but their lines of force that the earth has, and blend it with their own, and so they actually rise into the air. I've seen it happen. Mm. You know, we were talking about uh, the linear linear time, which is something I've always been fascinated with, this idea of time and how we've assigned yeah. this, this, this linear quality to time. One of the things that you, you, you know, we were, you, you threw at us here, and I, <laughs> time travel messes me up, man. It's one of those trippy subjects. <laughs> but you mentioned it here, time manipulation and time travel using Toltec techniques. You know, yeah. I don't I, I know we're kind of getting I don't know how long you want to go here, Marcus. I didn't really think to say, hey, how long do you want to talk tonight, Marcus? So sorry <laughs> about that. You have to use it, the bathroom. You have to use the <laughs> restroom or something like that. Maybe we'll. we'll no, that's fine. Um, yeah, what, whatever you need. Let's talk. Let's talk about this for a minute. Time manipulation and time travel using Toltec techniques. I, 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 oh, I I'm melting down. <laughs> Where do you even start with <laughs> okay. something like this? Well, you got to understand that. Um, Time, the way that everyone here perceives it, is linear. Yep. And that's where a point, you know, event A leads to event B, and it's all in a line like that. Yes. Uh, it doesn't really happen that way. It's just the way that we perceive it. And it's it's because of the, the actual frequency vibration that we, the, we dwell in as a result of our level of consciousness. And we, we have to have linear... Uh, it's not that it's a bad thing. Um, you know, you would not be able to function in a nonlinear world. But if you move above the linearity of time, it's just an illusion. Uh, there are different ways to do it. The Toltec shamans have the ability through the manipulation of the assemblage point to shift their consciousness to several different frequencies. Um, at the Monroe Institute, you know, that Robert Monroe created, they um, they had different sound techniques that would alter the frequency of the brain and actually alter the awareness. And they called each distinct level that was different, uh, they, they called it a focus. And they start, start off with like focus three, that's where you start feeling energy in your body. Uh, the next significant change is focus 10. And that's where you're your body is sound asleep when they put you in that state, but your your mind is fully active. And the first time I entered Focus 10, it, it scared the hell out of me because I was laying in bed and uh, I was by myself in a dark room and I, I reached Focus 10 using the Monroe uh, CDs. And my body was sound asleep. You know, I couldn't feel any sensations, mm -hmm. but that, that didn't occur to me because I was laying there and all of a sudden I started hearing this growling next to me. And, you know, I, you know, I jumped up out of bed and stuff and then I, I tried it again and I heard it again. It was me snoring. You know, I, <laughs> my body was asleep snoring, but my mind was fully awake and I, I didn't know it was me making the sound. So it's, it's a strange sensation, but it's a launching platform to the higher levels and there's a focus 12, but there's not a big difference. The next big difference uh, is what they call focus 15. 
And again, they're using this with audio signals. Uh, the shamans use it by actually manipulating the assemblage point to achieve the same thing. But at focus 15, the linearity of time ceases to exist. And even though you're in a state where you can't see anything um, because your your eyes are closed and your body's asleep, you're fully awake. And what can happen when you reach that level is you'll go into it and think you're maybe, you know, you've been you've been in it maybe two or three minutes and then you come back and wake up and you find out two hours have gone by because all sense of time, you know, leaves you. And you it's all a matter you know of awareness and shifting your awareness up. Now time is not linear, you know, like you know, a lot of a lot of people picture it as. And and some hyperdimensional physicists are starting to discover this, but what they haven't been able to wrap their mind around is that uh, from the Toltec perspective, uh, time is not linear, and um, it's not doesn't even exist. But what it what it is, everything that happens to us is on uh, a thing called a chronosphere, and that's an expanding. It's like a balloon blowing up. You're somewhere on the surface of the balloon, and the balloon blows up with many layers to it instead of just air, and it gets bigger and bigger and you know, basically your universe is getting bigger, but you can move from one point to another point. If you know how you can move through the um, chronosphere and it's almost like diving down toward the center of it and actually moves through time and you can relocate in time at uh, pretty much any, any given point on the chronosphere. Uh, now, Dr. Michio Kaku uh, and Dr. Carl Sagan was a friend of mine. He, uh, you know, they believed that in order to to do that, they didn't picture it as a sphere. But in order to do that, you had to have tremendous amounts of energy to rip the fabric of time and space apart. And theoretically, you would, except that, you know, with that model. But the actual model, if you look at it as a sphere, you just have to open up a little hole. And it's like a worm going down in the ground, and you can move through there energetically. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. It's mm -hmm. you know, it's a simple explanation or an analogy, but um, the uh, time you know we live on the surface of the chronosphere, and that's our space, uh, that's our physical world, but it's growing and growing and growing, and. Um, the bigger it gets, you know, the further we get from the center of the chronosphere. But at any time, you can move up or down in the chronosphere. And the only way to do that, you know, that the, the Toltec shaman is the only way that, that I know of. You know, maybe our secret government has some way of doing it. <laughs> but we don't want to talk about that no. on the air. Um, the Toltec shamans would alter their consciousness, move their assemblage point, and there are techniques that, you know, will be in the book, actually, uh, that tell you how to practice that and how to do things like that. And they would alter the vibration of their entire 
physical body, is it? We're not just talking about energy or the astral body. The whole physical body would start to alter and line up with uh, whatever position you put the assemblage point in. And you know, it's it's like uh, people ascending in consciousness, and they, you know that type of thing. And they would do that, but that by itself would not move you through time itself. What you would have to do is to leave the chronosphere, which you, you know, it's it's hard to picture doing this because we're thinking of planets and things, and it's it's not like you're leaving the planet Earth, but you would leave the vibration, the frequency of the chronosphere, and you would have to move into another place that the Toltec shamans called the Nawal, and there is no way to define the Nawal because anything that you can name or picture or think of is part of the tonal or our world. Everything in our world is the tonal. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are terms that they use. Then the wall is a place that's unthinkable and it's a place where nothing exists. But you can train yourself to actually go there. And, you know, it can be a terrifying place. But one, and, and it's hard to even talk about because I, I've never found a good analogy to explain what the Nawal is. Uh, I'm hoping I will come up with it. But <laughs> the uh, once you you move into the Nawal, you have suddenly have the ability to penetrate the layers of the chronosphere. And uh, this sounds like a bunch of Harry Potter science fiction <laughs> stuff, but it sounds but it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's not just a theory. I've seen it. And uh, one of my lessons was on the site of Mount Rainier in Washington. It's a volcano. And Carlos uh, took me there. And he's, you know, I never know what's going to happen, you know, when I was around him. It's, uh, it was exciting and terrifying at the same time. And, uh, you know, he, we had a, a place to stay there, a, a small rustic cabin. And he, uh, we got there, spent the night there, and, uh, and then I woke up in the morning by a biscuit hitting me in the face. <laughs> and he'd taken a biscuit, you know, you know, just one of those regular biscuits, mm -hmm. and tossed it at me, hit me in the face. And, uh, you know, he says, it's time to get up, Marcos. He says, we're going to learn about time. And I, you know, this is like four in the morning and I pulled the blanket over and I turned over and then he hit me harder with another biscuit. And I don't know why he was throwing biscuits at me, but uh, <laughs> it, it got me up. That sounds and, like something that would happen in this house. Yeah. <laughs> it got me up and, you know, we started a, a hike to a place on the side of the mountain and it was a place where there was about a oh, 150, 200 foot cliff. And he had me sit on the ground and w he went behind me and I didn't know what he was doing. And, and, you know, I'm like four feet away from the edge of this cliff. And so I, you know, I was freaking out anyway. And he did it uh, just as a sunrise came up. There's, there's a lot of energy and magic about sunsets and sunrises. That's another topic, though. <laughs> uh, but he did it just as the sun, you know, broke the uh, horizon. And uh, all of a sudden, he, you know, I feel a slap on my back. 
and which I later found out he was he was paralyzing me by moving my assemblage point uh, so I didn't fall off the cliff or anything. Mm-hmm. And he jumped off the cliff. And, you know, I'm, you know, freaking out, you know, because, you know, Carlos Castaneda just jumped off a 150-foot cliff. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm crawling and struggling over to look over the side, and I see his, his mangled body on the rocks down below. And I'm thinking, this has got to be a dream. I'm going to wake up and or something. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I hear, you know, his voice behind me. I turn around and look. And uh, he's he's laughing. You know, he, he loved freaking me out. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's laughing with a big old smile on his face. Yeah. And he says, what are you looking at? And I look back and he's not there anymore. And what he explained to me is he was teaching me how time, you know, about the chronosphere and how time is not always, you know, linear. And what he, he did, you know, according to him, what he did is he he first paralyzed me so I wouldn't jump up and run to the edge. Mm-hmm. And my legs felt rubbery for about an hour after that. And then he manipulated, <clears throat> excuse me, he manipulated his own assemblage point, shifted it to a point where he entered um, then the wall. Now, he actually did jump and die in that timeline. You know, that was not an illusion. But when he did it, he also left and uh, went into the wall, which is not the place definable. And by doing that, he was able to go back and undo what he did, you know, in time, and basically move through time to a point where he didn't jump off the cliff. And that, that's what you hear a lot about in the science fiction movies about the grandfather clause and – or not clause, but the grandfather effect where you, you travel back through time and do something where it kills your grandfather and all of a sudden you don't exist anymore. Yeah, you create a paradox. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in the timeline and that's possible. You can create paradoxes like that. But if you're not in the timeline, you know, basically what he did is remove himself from the time timeline just at the right moment so that he could go back and change things. Uh, he couldn't have done that, you know, had had he been in the timeline. And so in order, what all that amounts to without getting too technical is that in order to travel through time, um, you know, in, anywhere in the past and then back to the present, uh, you just have to take yourself out of the timeline by the manipulation of the assemblage point. And Going into the future is a little different story because the the future has happened, but it's not – it's, again, one of those things hard to explain. It's not concrete. I mean it's, it's in flux. The future events are in flux, and they're an extrapolation, a projection of our physical present and uh, what is likely to be. Well, I, and I, a, lot of, a lot of people I've you know, studied uh, – People have been interviewed who have who have claimed to time travel forward. I, the one consistency I've seen from those discussions have been uh-huh. that the future is hazy. Yeah, they're like it's it's kind of dreamlike and hazy. Like there is something happening, and it kind of ties in with what you were saying just said, Marcus. Like it, it's defined, but it's not defined. It's you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's all kind of in flux. Yeah, it's kind of like Jello. Yeah, it's <laughs> just. 
it it can be changed um, by events in the present. So the future can always be changed. There's nothing concrete that can't be changed. Well, and, and that's uh, what we do as people. We're all trying. We, yeah. If you think about mm -hmm. that, that makes so much sense because, I mean, everything we're doing every day is to is to define our futures. You know, well, I mean, yeah. if you're a forward thinking person, whether it's it's on this plane, the, the plane we live in now, I know that's, you know, part of my experience is, well, I want to do things to make things better for myself, you know, in the future. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm again, and, and that's what makes it, that, that's what makes it even more interesting is that even though I, as a person or, or Amber or yourself, Marcus are doing these things uh, for ourselves to ourselves to define our future, we still don't know what could happen because there's all these different possibilities. There's too many variables. Yeah, so it seems to me that we are already future time traveling, if you think about it. We're, yeah. we're kind of doing that just in, just involuntarily. Yeah, we're, we're traveling on the surface of the chronosphere into the future constantly. Um, there are ways to go back, but... What that means, and it starts getting heavier, uh, what that means is that the future is not real and the past is not real. The only thing, the only reality we ever have is the present, the right now. And that's the only thing that we can control immediately is our present. And that's why you'll, you'll hear some people talking about living in the present and uh, mm -hmm. all it really is is right now. And that's true. There is only right now. Uh, worrying about the future, you can plan for it financially and what you want to do. You can make plans, but you're not living it until it becomes the present. And um, so all you're doing is is organizing or manipulating you know, what you want to do in the future, but you're not living it. You're living only in the present. And um, you know, hopefully we learn from the past, yeah. but we're not living in the past. Once it becomes the present, then it's gone. Uh, you can go back and visit it, but it's it's something that it gets even heavier because you can go back in the past and change the past to alter the future or alter the present. Those things are possible. Ghostly talk.